In Southeast Agnet's Ag and Review for the week ending April 10th, just this week, USDA's Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service confirmed a ninth case of the H5N2 avian influenza in a commercial turkey flock in Minnesota. And while this disease has not been found in the Southeast, it is still a concern for Georgia State Veterinarian Dr. Robert Cobb, who says the disease does come in two ways. Low pathogenic and high pathogenic. And it's very common within the wild waterfowl population. Typically, it's low pathogenic in the wild waterfowl in the United States and North America. However, this year, high pathogenic avian influenza showed up in the waterfowl. And it started on the Pacific Coast in the Pacific Flyway. And uh, there are multiple states that have now reported high pathogenic avian influenza. Anything from backyard poultry to commercial poultry to wild birds and even captive wild birds. Dr. Cobb says biosecurity is the first step to help prevent it. Make sure you keep your animals away from any wild waterfowl. That's the main thing to do. But also make sure that any individuals that you allow onto your premises have been cleaned and disinfected prior to entering the premises. And also maintain your population of animals away from the wild animals. Well, USDA officials have been on the road this year meeting with agriculture stakeholders around the country to talk about the importance of trade promotion authority for the president in expanding international markets for U.S. products. And USDA Deputy Undersecretary for Farm and Foreign Ag Services, Alexis Taylor, was in Florida this past week as she made a stop in Tallahassee. One of the concerns that I hear is just to ensure that it's a truly comprehensive trade agreement. Uh, there's a concern that agriculture may be left behind. But one of our priorities is that this is a comprehensive agreement. It doesn't just cover a section of agriculture. It'll cover all of agriculture. There's some huge potential here in this region, I think, for our producers in Florida and the rest of the country. When you look at um, the growing middle class in, in, in Asia specifically, by 2030, 66% of the world's middle class population will be there. And what are some of the first things that they want to do when people start making more money? They want to buy better food. And that's specifically meat products, dairy products, and fruits and vegetables. Things that Florida excels in producing. TPA is still being held up in Congress, but Taylor wants producers to know they need to continue to promote agriculture and tell their story. You know, agriculture has a great story to tell when it comes to exports. Uh, last year, we had a one, we exported $150 billion worth of agricultural products. $4.4 billion of that came from Florida. Uh, we have a, you know, um, a surplus in, in agricultural trade, which is one of the few industries that we do. And so tell that story, you know, to, to your neighbors, to the press, you know, make sure people know how much agricultural exports are benefiting you directly and in turn those rural communities. An interesting statistic that I like to use sometimes is for every $1 of agricultural exports, $1.22 of business activity is generated. So exports aren't just about more dollars in farmers' pockets, but it's about the economic activity in their rural areas. And speaking of trade, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack announced Friday that USDA recently reached agreements allowing U.S. beef and pork producers greater access to consumers in Mexico and Peru. The two agreements will allow U.S. producers to export slaughter cattle to Mexico and expand access to consumer markets in Peru for U.S. fresh and chilled pork. The U.S.-Mexican agreement takes effect immediately and allows U.S. producers to export slaughter cattle to Mexico for the first time in over a decade. In other news, while many farmers have planting on their minds right now, Tyron Spearman reports there is information out there noting we could be seeing wetter than normal conditions in parts of the southeast this spring. 
Coming from the climatologists of the southeast, they say now the bigger problem this year is a wetter-than-normal conditions that are expected to occur in the next few weeks under the influence of the current El Nino. The Climatologist Prediction Center indicates that temperatures and precipitation may have an increased chance to be above normal in April. The frequent rains in, uh, in particular may make it difficult for some producers to get into the fields to plant. However, since conditions in March were generally drier than normal, the climatologist says the rain will help build up soil moisture reserves going into the growing season. The rainfall prediction for summer indicates no trend towards above or below normal values, but long-term trends indicate slightly increased chances of above-normal temperatures through the peak growing season. They said if the El Nino uh, continues, the climatologists said they expect a lower number of tropical storms than usual in the Atlantic, and that could lead to dryness in late summer and fall when tropical storms often provide moisture for southeastern crops. You can check that out at the agroclimate.org on the Internet and find out more about what's predicted for Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. I'm Tyron Spearman for Southeast AgNet. Kathy Isom had a story this week on how we're all eating more bacon and eggs. While some studies show Americans may be skipping the most important meal of the day, the demand for eggs and bacon is certainly proving we're eating more of those popular breakfast foods. Bacon is in strong demand right now. But perhaps not just for breakfast. Agricultural Department analyst Shay O'Shagan says one interesting survey done in 2011 and then again last year asked consumers to recount their bacon eating habits over the last 30 days. Some of the findings, back in 2011, only 3.4% of us reported eating 5 pounds or more of bacon over the last 30 days. Last year, that was up 5%. One survey shows our egg consumption is the highest it's been in seven years. Going back to 2011, Americans consumed about 248 eggs. By last year, it was up to 258 per person per year. While demand for bacon and eggs is up, prices are too. USDA economist Anne-Marie Coons took a look at the average price of grade A eggs and a pound of bacon in 2010 versus February of last year. $5.51, but today it costs $7.56. Most of that increase is because of bacon prices. Average price in 2010, $3.64. But in February of 2015, $5.47. Eggs, meanwhile, only up about 20 cents a dozen. I'm Kathy Isom, Southeast Agnet. And we wrap up this week's podcast with Ever Grinder talking about potatoes facing a genetic change. Well, looks like what happened to the tomato is going to happen to the potato. To give it new taste and new texture, they're breeding new strains to appeal to the eyes. Some are already available. Now, you may not care for the new tasty potato. The original's good enough. All I know about potatoes is they were originally grown in South America, and there was more than one variety. But in the thousands of years since they became a staple around the world, Americans were satisfied with the kind that were grown in Idaho, Maine, and Florida. The color of the skin had nothing to do with its prominence. Well, soon you'll be able to buy them in a variety of colors. Well, what's color got to do with how you look at the table? I don't think I would care for a green baked potato. Trouble is, it's farmers that are driving this change. Pink French fries, anyone? And that's Ag Review for today. Evergreener Southeast Agnet. You can hear those reports and more from this past week on our website, southeastagnet.com. Randall Wiseman, Southeast Agnet.